Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other, as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, for it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted that I would ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh someday, ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Well, have you ever found yourself on a long and windy road? In our series, Rhyme or Reason, we're going to look at what happens on those long and windy roads. Sometimes you feel alone. Sometimes you feel like crying. Sometimes you feel like a maverick and there's some fear, but it's the good fear of knowing you're trying something that's never been done before. My dad uh, had a great sense of direction. So whenever we go on family vacations together... Every once in a while, he wanted us to have that same sense of direction. Even now, he'll hand uh, to the kids or grandkids uh, how to navigate. And they're like, Dad, we have Google. Now we don't need that anymore. But as a kid, he would actually, as we'd be driving along in the car from Grandma's house, he'd all of a sudden hand us a map. Chad, you're the navigator. Get us to Dairy Queen and I'm buying. <laughs> and the only rule was you can't ever backtrack. And I remember as I'm trying to figure out where we are and how to get to the Dairy Queen in Metamora, I suddenly realized, okay, turn right, turn right. I meant left. And if I backtrack, no ice cream. And I'm trying to figure out, and all of a sudden, I got it. Turn left in about 50 feet. And we pulled to a graveyard. <laughs> and on the other side of the graveyard was another road heading back the way I went. And I'm like, I got it! My shortcut! My brother and sister like, more like a long cut. And that became sort of sticking in our family. Every time I would talk about one of my shortcuts, they'd say, yeah, here comes one of Dad's long cuts. The long way around. The long and windy road. Have you ever been on one of those long and windy roads? Sometimes it's with your health. I mean, you just had all these plans for this next phase of your life, this next decade of your life, your retirement. All of a sudden, you're on a health long cut. Maybe you weren't able to get that scholarship or your son or daughter didn't get that scholarship to college because in that last senior year they blew out a knee or blew out a hip and suddenly everything changed. All the plans you had laid, you're on a long cut. Sometimes it's related to your career. I had a a friend who came to Horizon, an incredible title, incredible territory, but he's like, I'm 54 and I really thought at this point I'd have a bigger title and I'd have a bigger territory. And I've worked really hard to get where I am, but I thought this is really the long way around to get the ultimate territory and the ultimate title that I wanted. How about with your kids? You ever had your kids on a long cut? You had them all prepared, you got everything aligned, and all of a sudden there's a health crisis here or maybe an addiction there. 
maybe struggling with depression or suicide here, and all of a sudden everything gets rearranged to be about that, and you're on the long way around. If it's addiction, you keep thinking, come on, hit rock bottom, hit rock bottom. There's got to be a quicker way to get through this. And they're like, haven't hit rock bottom yet. And you're on the long way around, the long cut. Sometimes it's financial. I mean, you've got a great financial advisor, you've got a great financial plan, and you've been working that plan until you get laid off, and that wasn't part of the plan. Or your son or daughter calls and said they need a fifth year to finish that four-year degree that you told them you'd pay for. Or there's a medical issue that comes up that just throws the plan out of whack. And suddenly you feel like you're on the long cut. But I've definitely felt like that in my life a lot of times. So this last season has been really interesting to see some of the things that I hate about the long way around are driving a lot of unhealthy things in my life. Just got back from our 25-year reunion. My wife and I just had a great time celebrating that. When I returned, all of a sudden stepping back into the hypervigilance needed for the special needs circumstances we're in with people, you know, puking all the time and six or seven times a night sometimes. I'm always repairing and fixing something in the house, rebuilding something in the house and just inability to calm down. While I was on vacation, I'd read about the research done that says that parents of special needs children suffer from PTSD and hypervigilance the same way that uh, people in the military do. Seems almost sacrilegious to put PTSD next to a a non-military person, but as I was reading it, I realized that's what's broken in me, is that all the the pressure of the circumstances that sort of we live in, Beth and I live in normally, has caused a hypervigilance and as I'm seeking out a counselor for PSD to help with that, when I meet with in a few weeks, I'm doing some inner work and I'm realizing that one of the things that causes that is my need, good need for progress. Come on, buddy, you can get potty trained. If I just work a little harder, if I push a little harder, we'll have potty training done. It's only been a decade. And he's fine. I mean, he's Mr. Quinn. I love Mr. Quinn. He's happy as can be. It's, it's my need for progress. It's my need for keeping us. Some of this stuff, you know, we have to keep him from killing himself. We have to keep him from escaping the yard. We have to keep him from spreading poo all over the place. I mean, those are legitimate things that happen every minute of every hour. But even returning after 12 days away from it, coming back into it, I've just been amazed at the, the panic attacks I'm having being back in the circumstance. And realizing part of that is caused by my obsession with progress and my obsession with efficiency and there is nothing about these circumstances that can produce efficiency and even though I've got a great support system in place my brain and my mind and my emotions haven't caught up to what I have in place and that's why this particular message today is helpful for me hopefully it'll be helpful for you we're going to learn that God takes the long way around and it makes all the difference and helping us get unlocked from things that are deeply broken within us. Now when I see that point, God takes the long way around and it makes all the difference. I hate that point. I mean, I really hate that point. I always want to change that point except it's so memorable. I hate the long way around. Makes all the difference? Yeah, it's frustrating, it's inefficient, it's bothersome. But I want to try and show you today maybe God's rhyme or reason for why he takes us sometimes on the long way around. And how it really can make a difference. First thing, <laughs> I don't know if it's true in your life, but it certainly seems to be true that, that we get confused when God takes the long way around. Now why do we get confused by that? One of the reasons we're confused by that is because we live in a particular time and culture where everything is about productivity and efficiency and speed. 
If we lived 100 years ago or 500 years ago, where maybe career was about apprenticeship, multi-generational apprenticeship to become a craftsman, you'd be used to things taking a long time, and that was okay because you want to get it right. But our culture has us obsessed with efficiency. So we're very confused when God doesn't honor our need for productivity and efficiency in the same way. And God has just taken his people from Egypt and all the Red Sea crossings and Dead Sea stuff that you heard about. He's about to lead them out of there. And here's what it says. Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although it was nearer or though it was shorter. Why, God, aren't you taking the short path? Why aren't you taking the near path? Why in the world is he going to lead them the long way around? Let me show you on the map where Egypt is. So Egypt's on the top left in green. They've just escaped from Egypt. They're going to head to Israel, which is sort of just to the right and north of the way of the Philistines. And instead, look at the path he takes them on. Dot, 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 south, south, south. He goes the wrong direction for a while. Why would God take them the long way around? What's the point here? Well, I think the first thing we need to acknowledge is something about our unique time and culture that keeps us from even appreciating there might be reasons for the long way around. In fact, it's interesting that poem that we read earlier about the uh, Robert Frost and the road less traveled. It's often quoted as the road less traveled because of the final line, but actually the poem is called The Road Not Taken. And it's known as the most misunderstood poem in American history. Let me just read an excerpt from it. We'll we'll dig down into it in a second. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both. And be one traveler long I stood, and looked down one as far as I could, where it bent into the undergrowth. So there's two different paths to take. One he can see for a while where it's headed. The other one bends into the undergrowth. Oh, I wonder where that's going to go. And there's something about the unknown, where it's turning. What does the undergrowth mean? There's something about facing uncertainty that puts fear in us or panic in us. Or like, you know, I'd rather choose what I do know than have too much uncertainty in the plan. And who's going to choose to walk into undergrowth anyway? I don't walk into undergrowth. This is a clear path. This is a better path. Well, the same thing's true here. Why not just take the fast route through the Philistines? Let's just get there and get it done. I had a woman sharing recently about her experience with miscarriage and the grief of that and the devastation of that. This was her third miscarriage. And she was wrestling with that. Why? If I just want to have a family, I just want to do something that's good. Why would God have me on this horrible path that's affecting me, it's affecting my spouse, it's affecting our marriage, it's affecting our hopes and dreams. It's a good thing, God. And friend would get pregnant quickly and get so frustrated at that. She said, as I've been through this long way around with God, I have learned that I still hate the long way around. But God has met me in my grief in ways he's never met me in any other way. And God has walked this path with me in ways I've never experienced before. The comfort, the presence. And though I wouldn't wish this upon myself or anyone else, I'm starting to learn That God could only teach me and meet with me if he had taken me on this path. I'm starting to see his desire to know me more is one of the benefits coming out of this tragic path. In 1998, there was an earthquake down in uh, Papua New Guinea. 
It was a very interesting earthquake because it happened outside on the water. It was far enough away from shore that all of the villagers came to the side of the shore and they looked out and they could see what they described as the ocean boiling. Boom. Boom. What are they going to do? Now, several of the, of the older fishermen immediately jumped in their boats. Does that make any sense? And they began to row toward the bubbling ocean. Most of the other folks are like, well, that's crazy. We're going to run into the jungle. So they ran deep into the jungle for safety. That earthquake in 1998 would produce three gigantic tsunami waves that would come and obliterate everything on the village and take all of the pieces, parts that were on the village and flood and drown almost everyone who ran into the jungle. About a day later, a group of sailors who had actually rowed themselves out quick enough and fast enough into the ocean that by the time the waves came up, they went over it and didn't get the devastating drop at the end. It took them about a day to row back but they actually all survived. Now, does it make any sense to go out into the boiling ocean? Does it make any sense to say that's the safe place to be? No, the jungle's a safe place to be if there's a tsunami coming. There's often times that having turmoil and having difficulty in the, in the short term feels very painful, but in the long term it saves lives. And what seems safe in the short term, run to the jungle, is devastating in the long term. And that's why God wants us to understand that when he takes us on the long path, it's because he sometimes sees things we can't yet see. And he explains that in our second truth. It says, when we're not prepared for our destiny to be free people, we choose known bondage. It says, God did not lead them by the way of the Philistines, though it was shorter. Why? Because, here it is, for God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds about being free... If they have to go to war with the Philistines, which should be on the short path, and they want to return to Egypt. Who in the world would want to return to being enslaved? Just about every human heart. You see, we are so fearful of the unknown that we will choose to stay in dysfunction we know. The dysfunction of depression is easier than figuring out how to get free, how to get a counselor, how to get medication. The dysfunction of my anger and not having to control is better than, and enabling that behavior is better than trying to figure out what our relationship would be like if, if I set some boundaries. We're so fearful of the future. We're so fearful of the unknown. We choose bondage over uncertainty. And God knew that. He said, if I take them via the Philistines, they're going to want to head back to Egypt. They're going to change their mind and say, nope. At least when we got whipped every day, they gave us food. How are we going to find food? I've never had to hunt before. Back to our poem. Robert Frost had a friend named Edward Thomas. And they became really good friends. And they would go hiking together often. And as they would go hiking together and they'd be on a path, Robert Frost was always amazed how much energy Edward Thomas had every time they came to a fork in the road. So much panic. Should we go this way or that way? It doesn't matter. They all go back to the end. Oh, no, no, no. And then he would fret over which path to take. Left or right, left or right, left or right. Well, okay, well, let's take the left one. And then they take the left one. And they travel down the left one for a while. And as they travel down, you know, they'd be, they'd be coming back at the end of the day. And they'd come back to finish up lunch. And he'd say, you know, we really should have taken the other one. He was just always amazed how much over-choice there was and how much pressure he put into just taking a simple hike. 
that he wrote this poem and it's the whole thing is sarcastic. It's a sarcastic poem making fun of his friend who put so much pressure into these decisions. Because read it carefully. The paths are identical. One turns into the undergrowth. You can't see where it's going. But they're both equally traveled. They're both equally um, the same. Look at the phrases he uses. Then took the other as just as fair. They're just as fair. They're both equal. And having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear. So maybe it was a little grassier. Though, as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. People equally traveled both these paths. He had so much stress. Oh, my goodness. They're the same. It's not worth all this anxiety. We're going on a hike, Edward. Crying out loud. And both that morning equally lay, equal choices, not that big a deal which one you're going to take. In leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I'll never get a chance to redo this. This is a once an opportunity. All this fretting. And at the end of the poem, he tells himself, even though they were equally the same, I took the path less traveled and it has made all the difference. It's how we fret over decisions and then fool ourselves into thinking everything we accomplish is because we did something maverick. And more ever in any time in history, with the amount of choices we're allowed to make, we experience what psychologists call overchoice. And if every decision you make has that much pressure, it's no wonder we're stressed out. Because if you don't choose this one right, your whole career will be ruined. Your whole relationship life. You'll screw up your kids for life, right? And our society just gives all kinds of pressure and fear that every choice has that much angst and that much weight to it. And this is why trusting that God has a rhyme or reason is so helpful in freeing yourself from that kind of anxiety. How? Well, number one, God does want to give you wisdom for decisions. But most of the time, the decisions aren't right, wrong, and evil. God says, do what you want. I'll give you the desires of your heart. I will walk with you and we'll make a life out of any one of these paths. <gasps> really? And if along the path you make a mistake... You fall down on a broken road, skin up your knee, you find out you shouldn't have gone that way. Guess what? I will even use those mistakes, those bumps, and those falls to form you and shape you and make you. I'm going to walk the broken roads with you too. Just don't return to Egypt to bondage of fear. I want you to be free from fear. The third reason God has a rhyme or reason is because God wants... God knows that you and I need wilderness moments. A wilderness is a desert. And we need desert moments in our life in order to form the kind of fortitude we need to become the people we're meant to be. So God takes them a long way around and he led the people around by way of the wilderness. He brings them into the desert. Now, no wonder they want to go back to Egypt. You got the Nile, you got vegetation, it looks beautiful. Who in the world wants to leave Florida and head into the Sahara Desert? That's the promise. God, you're taking me out of... Sure, I was in bondage, but I was in bondage in paradise to a desert. But God does take us to the desert. And it's when we have a desert experience where things feel dry. Things aren't going the way we hoped or wanted or think they should. We learn a lot about ourselves. We become in the desert who we're meant to be. Yet if you're like me, I do everything in my power to avoid the desert. 
I don't want a desert in my marriage. I don't want a desert in my heart. I don't want to feel that desert cold wind of no one's around and feeling alone. I avoid deserts. But God has a rhyme or reason for taking through the desert. It's in the desert that we learn what really matters. We learn what we really need. In fact, I'm going to interview a friend of mine in a few weeks in this series. But as I was talking to him in preparation, he said, You know, Chad, I had a fantastic job and a fantastic career. Things were going incredibly well for me. And I had no interest in God. Didn't want him mad at me, but spiritual life and spiritual things just weren't important. And out of nowhere, I get put on the long way around. I was one of the top performers in my company, and all of a sudden I lose my job because I didn't want to uh, become a partner. Could have made a lot more money, but I didn't want the risk. And out of nowhere, I lost my job, and it just threw me for a loop. I was in a desert, a wilderness. I just, wow. And as I did that, I started networking, and as I was networking for new jobs, I came across somebody who attended Horizon. He gave me a couple networking opportunities. But what struck me is he called me back a few weeks later. No one ever does that when you're networking, he said. He said, hey, how's the search going? We should grab lunch. And I went to lunch and we began to talk. And we didn't talk just about business. We talked about life. We didn't just talk about life. He began to talk about faith in God. And it was a way that was very natural. It didn't seem weird. Christians always seem weird to me. God seemed irrelevant. Kind of the God box over here where you do religious stuff and the real life here. He, he showed me a way it was all integrated. He said, did you know he started meeting with me for over two years with no agenda except to talk life? I started coming to the exploring service, started having interest in spiritual matters, ultimately did find another career, which is doing far better than even my previous one was. He said, and as I looked at that path that God had me on, here's what I realized. Prior to this wilderness moment in my career, I had no interest in spiritual matters. Just went on the radar. It was in that journey I found something. Not only was it important, it's now the most important thing in my life. He's a regular tender at our equipping verse-by-verse Bible teaching service now. He said, that is so important to me that God knew that if I could get the foundation of significance and faith in my life, then I could actually be entrusted again with all these other things because I had what really mattered. That's what the long way around was like for me. In uh, England, there was a pastor name of Charles Spurgeon, kind of famous. He was like the Billy Graham of his day. And they were, had some pretty large churches over in the England area. And a new pastor had just moved into town and was having quite the following, impacting a lot of people. So a group of the older pastors were getting together and they said, hey, have you heard about the new guy? Yeah, I heard he's really doing great. And some of the older pastors said, well, can I ask a question? Sure, what? Has he been broken yet? And the other older pastors were like, oh, yeah. Is he broken yet? Broken yet? He said, yeah. It's, it's not until you're broken that you really start to... You can talk with cliches. You can be inspiring. You can say nice, pithy little things. But it's when we're broken, God uses us to connect with people on a deeper level because we know what it's like to find him in the wilderness, to find him in our brokenness, to find him in the alone places and the quiet places of our life. And yet, don't we do everything to avoid brokenness and to avoid the wilderness? So one, be aware you're going to get confused. Two, God may be trying to protect you from changing your mind and going back to some, some known bondage if you too quickly he asks you to change. 
and you face too much adversity. And three, God may be trying to take you through a wilderness so that you can learn some of the things you need to learn in order to experience what he's trying to teach you and to become the very best of yourself. Fourth truth is that often we need to look backwards in order to move forward. When you see the fear and anxiety of the long and windy road, what's going to happen in the uncertainty, God often has this principle that if you look back over your shoulder at how he has worked in the past, how he has worked through difficulty in the past, it actually fuels your confidence that he had a rhyme or reason for what happened two years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago. And if he had a good reason then that I'm starting to see, I'm going to trust he might have a reason for what's in the future. Now this is told in a very weird way in this passage. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, he being Joseph, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. So quick history. Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac, Jacob. Jacob, Joseph. Joseph gets sold into Egypt by his brothers, ends up becoming the second command of the Pharaoh, ends up during a famine bringing all of Abraham's descendants, the Jews, to Egypt, where they're doing quite well. Joseph dies... All of his descendants get put into bondage for 400 years. Before he dies, he says, but God told my great-great-great-grandfather Abraham this would happen. Exactly this. I've got a plan. There's going to be 400 years by the number, God tells Abraham, you're going to be in bondage. Then I'm going to lead you to the promised land. So when Joseph dies, he says, I know it's going to be bad for a while, but when I die, put my bones in a bone box, which is what they did in that culture, And I want to make sure you don't bury me in Egypt. I want to be buried in that promised land that he told my great-great-grandfather we would have. So in this moment, as they are headed on this long and windy road, they actually say, hey, imagine for 400 years, somebody's had Joseph's bone box hidden under their tent in the slave village they've been in. Time to dig up the bone box. And pulling out the bone box was a reminder that God had made a promise 500 years earlier that he was going to work through this circumstance to bring about his purpose. And bringing the bone box with was a way of saying, this is the moment that our generations and our forefathers have prayed about, that God would accomplish the things he said he'd accomplish, even though it's been the 500 long cut, year long cut. So this bone box represents the promises of how God has talked to their ancestors, the promise he has made, and the fulfillment that he has. And often if you're facing uncertainty, don't forget to look back at the road behind you and how God has used the circumstances he has to shape you, to form you, to make you who you are. And lastly, one of the things God's really trying to do in our life is God's trying to teach us daily dependence. So even as God is leading the people, you might think this is sort of why you don't believe in the Bible because it sounds very uh, Marvel Comics University, uh, is that God leads the people with a giant pillar of fire and a, uh, by night and a giant pillar of cloud. You might say, this is not a historic book, Chad. This is fantasy. Well, maybe. I actually think it's true, and I think it's philosophically consistent that a supernatural God should do supernatural things. If you're reading a book about a supernatural God and nothing supernatural happens, it's kind of like, what a lame God. So I kind of take it philosophically, makes sense to me that a supernatural God does things that are supernatural. But either way, whether you believe this pillar appeared or the fire appeared, the principle's still the same. God is trying to teach them daily, when the pillar moves right, you go right. When the cloud moves left, you move I want to teach you how to follow me, to trust me, to know that where I'm leading you is because I love you and I have a plan for you. 
In fact, some people think that because there's a pillar of cloud and fire, that it was to look like shepherd's legs. Because they were in a shepherding culture where the sheep would always just look down. They would see the legs of the, uh, of the shepherd. And so Jesus was teach, or God was teaching them how to, how to be sheep that could follow a shepherd that loved them. I don't know if that's true or not. It's interesting. It says here, So they took their journey, and the Lord went before them by day and night in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night the pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by the day and night. The principle here, though, is that God wants you to be sufficient. God wants you to be dependent upon him and to trust he knows best. And when you don't like the long way around, we don't appreciate the long way around, you say, but I'm going to trust someone who's got the bigger picture. I'm going to trust somebody who I'm going to choose to believe loves me and cares for me. That's why Jesus dying on the cross is so important. It's a reminder that whatever's going on in your life you don't understand, it can't be that God doesn't care for you because he died for you. He gave his son for you. So God, when I don't understand why we're turning left and we should be turning right or vice versa, I'm going to trust you have a rhyme or reason for what you're doing. So those are just five aspects to help you understand maybe what God might be doing when he takes you the long way around because it can make all the difference. God takes the long way around. It makes all the difference in teaching us and forming us and turning us into the best version of ourselves. You give somebody something too quick, right? You promote somebody too quickly and they don't learn the stuff that needs to be learned through failure, through difficulty, right? It's the long way around that develop the skills they needed. You give your kids everything you want, you spoil them, what happens? Do they become the best version of themselves? No, they need the long way around to learn discipline, to learn how to make a lot out of a little so they can later make a lot out of a lot. So here's my challenge for you. This week, whether you are a believer in Jesus or kicking the tires on faith, I just want you to try for a week as you face whatever your long cuts are or long way arounds are. I want you to attempt to say to yourself, maybe even out loud if you need to, but certainly mentally, God, will I trust that you have a rhyme or reason for this path? Ask yourself that question. Doesn't mean you have to like the path, but God, will I trust that you have a rhyme or reason for letting this happen? And if you can get yourself to even experiment, try yes for a week, then answer that question to yourself. God, I'm going to trust that you have a rhyme or reason for doing what you're doing that I can't yet see. Remember years ago, I used to do a lot more premarital counseling. I don't do hardly any anymore. I was talking with a couple who was attending Horizon. And, and as we were doing the wedding, I said, I really want to do an original message that uh, really speaks to your story. And it's a pretty tragic story in their life where both of them had come from marriages before and both had been cheated on before. And there was a lot of pain. And the pain of, of that story had brought one person to, to find faith in Christ and to find community and to really work on some inner things that had led to that relationship. And so did the other person. And... As we're working on the message together, they said, I think the theme of our life has not been, it's all been rosy and good. It's that God has used the broken roads in our life to bring us to each other. As we look back over our shoulders, boy, we wouldn't go back to those circumstances for anything. But God used those paths to shape and form us and to make us who we are today. And I hope God can do the same for you. That he can use the good roads and the broken roads. That's why in the same way poetry has been inspiring to us, to inspire us to think deeply about ourselves, about life, the scripture is filled with poetry. And that kind of poetry 
reminds us to remind ourselves to call out to God and to pray to God when we're on long, windy paths or when we find ourselves in the wilderness. To say, God, bless the broken roads around me that I can find my purpose. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the reminder that you are a God of purpose and a God who cares for us and loves us and looks after us. Father, there's many in this room that are at the highest points of their life. Things are going incredibly well. There's others of us who are walking through a valley. And Father, we ask that you would remind us to invite you to walk the paths with us. In Jesus' name. Give ear, O heaven, and I will speak. And hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain. Let my speech distill as the dew, as raindrops on the tender herb and as showers on the grass. For I proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in a wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings and taking them up, carrying them on its wings. So the Lord alone led him. Well, I would love to have that confidence that whatever path I'm on, there's a person who made the universe who's with me and will use it to form me and shape me. Let's pray together. Maybe you need that confidence today. God, I ask for each person here, God, who feels like they're on one of those long cuts, would you just draw near to them in a way they could feel or sense that you have wisdom to offer? Or maybe it seems like an unsolvable knot they're in, that you'd let them know that they're not alone in the wilderness. And God, we don't mind pain if we've had a purpose it's ongoing pain that seems meaningless, that just wears at our conscious, it just wears at our heart. So, Father, would you whisper to each person here that there is a rhyme or reason behind what's going on? And God, I ask for each person here, you'd give them hope and courage that come against the spirit of fear. And God, that we would not suffer from overchoice in this culture so obsessed with choosing a thousand versions of everything. But God, instead, help us find confidence that you will give us the desires of our heart if we'll just stay near to you and take you on whatever path we choose. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we'd like to invite you back for Mother's Day. Mother's Day is next week. Mother's Day is next week. Where we're going to read a poem about moms and hear some different moms tell their stories, what God has taught them through motherhood. We invite you to be back next week as we continue Rhyme Reason for Mother's Day. Thanks so much.